Exodus chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold guiltless anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male nor female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And then the second reading is Ephesians chapter 6. That's verses 1 to 4. And that's on page 1177 in the Church Bibles. So that's 1177. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Well, it's in this month that pupils, at some point, depending on the school you're in, will be returning to school. Uh, Students will be going back to college, and some will go to university as well. And as teachers prepare for those moves, they will be planning an ordered curriculum for their students, because they know that the order in which you learn things matters. So it's not possible to learn to add until you've learned what numbers are and how to count. It's not possible to write an amazing story until you know how sentences are structured and put together. There is order and structure to learning. And that happens because God has made us that way. And as we look at the scriptures, and particularly as we look at the Ten Commandments, we see that God structures what he teaches us in a deliberate, ordered way. This morning, Andy's already mentioned that we're returning to our series in the Ten Commandments. We've been working through the book of Exodus for months, 
And as we come to Exodus chapter 20, we're going to take our time in working through these commandments. In the last few months, we've worked through the first four, and now we're going to work through those final six. And we saw as we began the series, and I just want to highlight this as we return to it. It's been a few months. If you look down at verse two, the Lord God who brought his people out of Egypt was the Lord who said these commandments, who spoke these words to his people. So one of the things we notice is that these are the commandments of God for his redeemed people. They are how those who know and love God live their lives in ways that please God and bring honor and glory to God. But the other thing we also noticed is that these commandments are a summary of what we call the moral law of God. And the moral law of God established in creation, put in every, to every human heart, is given to order and structure all of humanity. Because our good God who made us shows us how to live well in his worlds. These commandments are not given for salvation because none of us can keep them. And we'll see that as we look through this fifth commandment. All we can keep them perfectly. But they are given to guide God's people in holiness. And they are given that all the world might be blessed in knowing God's good ways. So as we come uh, to this fourth commandment, just want to start by noticing the structure here. If you know uh, anything of the Ten Commandments, you know that the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, stands in a, a primary place because it introduces the following nine. It's foundational, it grounds all of them because the Lord God is God. And if he is God, then his word grounds our lives. But the fifth commandment is very interesting because uh, we might ask the question, if there's a deliberateness to the order of the first relative to the following nine, and as we come, as, as we see that the, the first four and the second six are also separated, we should ask the question, why does God begin in this fifth commandment, the first of the second sixth in this way? Because the first four commandments speak of our relationship to God primarily, and the second four, sixth commandments speak of our relationship in society in general. So why, in speaking about relations in society in general, does God begin with something about the relationship between children and parents? Why not speak first of the significance and the value of life in saying you shall not murder the sixth commandment? Why is the fifth so foundational? And to answer that, we need to see our first point. And we're going to see that this commandment is foundational to your life. This commandment, honor your father and mother, is foundational to your life. It comes in primary place in the structure of the second sixth for a reason. And in fact, I think there are three reasons we can notice here. The first is this. This primary, this commandment is foundational to our life because the family is the primary building block for society. Individualism's framework says that society is made up of independent people. But the Bible's framework is to say that society is made up of family units. Think of the story of the whole Bible right back at the beginning of creation. God starts with a family. He starts with a man and a woman joined together in the lifelong, exclusive covenant commitment of marriage. And as they, according to the providence of God, are blessed with children, 
and they bring those children up. Those children leave their parents, marry, and then form new family units. So the family is a primary building block for society. And it's significant that throughout history, those wanting to destabilize society have targeted the family. Many historians chart there was a major shift in the attitudes towards authority in the West during the 1960s. And one American historian, speaking about the US, identified the 1960s as the generation that destroyed the American family. She wrote, Annie Goteb, we may not have been able to tear down the state, but the family was closer. We could get our hands on it and... We believe that the family was the foundation of the state. And the first step was to tear ourselves free from our parents. So as God begins to teach us about collective life together, he begins with the foundational unit of collective life in society, the family. It's foundational for that reason. But it's also foundational because our parents are the first people we meet. That's a matter of fact, isn't it? They are the first people we meet. And the way that we treat our parents will shape how we treat other people. In treating them rightly, we learn how to treat others well. But in not treating them well, we may shape our interaction with others. Augustine, who was a, a young man, lived a very rebellious life, but then was wonderfully saved, said these words later in life. If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? Our parents are the first people we meet, and the way we treat them will shape how we treat others. We've seen that the, this commandment is foundational because it's the primary building block for society, because our parents are the first people we meet, but then also in the family, we learn how to follow God's good commandments. The third reason why it's foundational. We learn to control the anger that can give birth to murder in the family, the sixth commandment. We observe our parents' faithfulness in marriage, the seventh commandment, in the family. We see how personal property is respected, the eighth commandment, there in the family. We learn honesty and integrity, the ninth commandment, as it's practiced in our families. And as we see our parents and their contentment with what we have, we learn the tenth commandment to be content with what we had. So if we learn to honor our parents, learning from them and following their example, we will be helped to follow the other commandments as well. So this sense in which this commandment, honor your father and mother, is so foundational, is worked out through the scriptures as well. And we find that in God's word, God is particularly concerned with how children treat their parents. Under the old covenant, there were serious penalties for mistreating your parents. Exodus 21 verse 15 states that anyone who attacks their father or mother is to be put to death. Under the old covenant, it was a very serious thing. And under the new covenant, in the New Testament, one of the markers for the decline of 
the society in general is how parents are treated by their children. So in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this, But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. And then in Romans chapter 1 and verse 30, when Paul is speaking of the sins that mark out a person who has turned away from the Lord and his ways, he includes disobedience to our parents as one of those sins. So this commandment is a foundational commandment. God uses it to shape us as people. He uses it to shape our world. And so we must ask, secondly, having seen this commandment is foundational to our lives, how do we keep it? And we're going to see that this commandment calls us to honor in attitude and action. Our second point, we honor in attitude and action. Let's think, first of all, about attitude. If you just have Exodus 20 in front of you, you'll notice that this is the one of the positive commandments. It calls to do something positively, not you shall not, but rather to do something. And the positive call is to honor your father and mother. Now, what does that mean? Well, to honor someone is to treat them as significant and important. The, the background to this meaning of the word honor has to do with weighty and heaviness. And so very um, simply, we might say that this commandment calls us to hold our parents in high regard. To in our hearts remind ourselves they matter, they are significant, and we are going to seek to show that. And we start with attitude. We start with honoring an attitude because that is where everything else goes, flows from. If we find it hard to honor our, and obey our parents, we need to focus on our attitude first. Because how we think about our parents will shape how we behave towards our families. Now, that is not the message that we generally hear from some friends and the media around us. The dominant theme, and one of the things I really want to get across this morning is that, and I particularly want to speak to young people here this morning, there are voices that you need to tune out and there are voices you need to tune into. Or there is a voice, I should say, you need to tune into. And, and there's a real challenge here. There's a real challenge because all the voices or many of the voices around you will call you to things that God calls you not to do. And the big challenge is to tune in to what God says. What are the voices around us calling us to do? Well, we're encouraged in the world around us to think little or badly of our parents. We're encouraged to pity them as those who know nothing about life today. Mum and dad, you just don't know anything. We're perhaps even called and encouraged to despise them because they restrict our freedoms and stop us from doing and being what we want to be. Young people, you need to consciously tune that message out and reject it. And instead, choose to listen to what God says. This commandment, the fifth commandment, does not come from your parents. It's not one of their, maybe a scheme they've put together to try and get you to do what they want you to do. 
This commandment comes from the God who made you, from the God who made all people, and the God who is all wise and all good. And this great God says, honour your father and mother. In your attitude towards them, hold them in the highest regard, our attitude. But also, this commandment calls us to action as well. And this is where we jump into Ephesians chapter 6. Because in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul gives us more detail about the meaning of the fifth commandment. Because remember that the New Testament is a divine interpreter of the Old Testament. And so as Paul looks at this commandment in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, what does he say? He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So Paul says, obey your parents in the Lord, and then restates the fifth commandment as the reason for that obedience. So do you see here what Paul is doing is he's linking honor to obedience. And honoring in attitude will lead to obedience in action. Now, there's a very important qualification in chapter 6 and verse 1, and it's a statement in the Lord. Very important, because it reminds us that our parents, and indeed any authority, is an ultimate, but rather it is under God. And so we are to obey our parents as far as their commandments do not conflict with God's commandments. Sometimes we might speak of lawful commandments. So if our parents ask us to tidy our rooms, that's a lawful command. But if our parents tell us to stop praying and reading the Bible, that's not lawful. And so obeying the Lord means that we turn from that command but we obey them in as far as they call us to do things that are right and lawful. Also, obeying in the Lord means that we do not submit in silence through abuse. But honoring means obedience in action. And once again, the challenge here is to tune out the voices we hear around us and tune in to God's word. Make a conscious choice. Because there are some in our individualistic, individualistic culture who despise authority. And, and it seems almost as if disobedience is the goal. It's a good thing. I mean, isn't it so sad that it's seen as a rite of passage to disobey your parents? It's just what you do. It's something everyone goes through. My friend, friends, Please understand, and young people, please understand, I understand the power of that message. I understand the power of that voice, because that was how I lived as a young man. I had loving parents, but I didn't honor them, and instead I found delight in disobeying them. So don't listen to me as a young man. Listen to what God says about the goodness of obedience. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says this. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They are like a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. God says obedience is good 
and beautiful. Isn't that striking? Our world says it's a rite of passage to disobey. God says obedience is like a garland and a chain around your neck. It is something to be prized and it is something to be pursued. Tune out those voices around you. Listen to the Lord God. But notice two further things about this commandment. We've seen this commandment calls us to attitude and to action, but it's also vital to see that this commandment calls us to obey both father and mother. Now, the scriptures teach that fathers have a special responsibility and calling to lead in a family, but we are to honor our mothers just as much as our fathers. Again, the book of Proverbs, chapter 6 and verse 20 says, My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake your mother's teaching. So the father's commandment and the mother's teaching put there together because we are to obey them both. And I think this message to obey mother and father is particularly important in our world because young men, you may be hearing a message around you, another voice around you that says, strength and power gives authority. And if you reason that message through, then when as you get bigger and stronger than your parents, and perhaps particularly your mother, that means perhaps that you should no longer obey her if you follow that voice in our world. That is not right. Authority is not gained through strength. Your parents' authority flows from God's wise and good ways. Reject that voice around you. Honor both father and mother. But then fourthly here on this Second point, we're just going to notice that obedience brings blessing. Did you notice that in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17, verse 12, sorry, the second part of the command we read, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And then as Paul picks it up in Ephesians chapter 6, we are told that we should do this, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now, what's going on there? How do we understand it? Well, well, certainly for Old Testament Israel, their obedience to God's command did affect how long they lived in the land of Canaan. It wasn't an obedience to salvation, but it was an obedience that brought God's material blessing as they obeyed. But for us today, there is a shift. We are not under the same covenant. And Paul seems to highlight that because he changes the word in how he restates the commandment from the land in Exodus 20 to the earth in Ephesians chapter 6. But even then, there is a sense in which there is ongoing significance because Paul is highlighting it. So what might be the ongoing significance? Well, here's two thoughts for you and maybe here others as well. But a first way in which life we may live long in the land and enjoy long life, sorry, enjoy long life on the earth. One way that that would happen is very simply that peaceful homes are good for everyone. If there is strife and constant argument, that will affect our bodies. Stress is not good for us, and it can shorten life for everyone involved. So we might say, if you want to thrive in life, seek to live at peace in your home. But then there might be another ongoing significance of the blessing God promises through this commandment. Because living long 
in the land is, is Bible shorthand for living under the blessing of God. And so we might say that the primary way our parents teach us and we follow their instruction is in their teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ and in our belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. So in honoring and believing that teaching that is passed on to us, we come by faith to know the Lord personally. And so the promise here is that we gain the blessing of God in eternal life as we trust in the Lord Jesus Christ so far knowing God now and into eternity. So those are two ways in which this blessing can continue today. So, so what have we seen? Well, we've seen that this commandment has a primary place, and we've seen a bit of what it means to obey this commandment. But now I want to ask the question, what if you're over 18? Maybe it's been a little bit hot under the color and uncomfortable. You're slightly younger today in that sense. What if you're over 18 today? Well, the third thing I want us to come and see is that this commandment has application to us all this morning. We're going to see three ways in which it applies. But as we do that, we're noticing a pattern in the Ten Commandments that when God gives a command, there is a narrow and a broad application. In its narrow sense, God is speaking to the specific situation of children and how they relate to their parents. But in a broad sense, in God making a command about one particular aspect of life, the Lord God is claiming authority over all of the connected areas, therefore. So when God says, I am Lord over that relationship between children and parents, God is saying, I am Lord over everything that happens in family life. And in that way, this commandment has much broader scope. There are implications for parents. The Lord God is Lord over family life, and that means things for parents as well. In this commandment, our children are called to honor us as parents, but we can help them by seeking to be worthy of honor. In the commandment, our children are called to obey their parents, but we can help them greatly by setting a reasonable standard. Do not, please do not use this commandment to cover over your faults as a parent. Seek to be as honorable that you may be honored. Seek to be as good and reasonable in your commandments that they may be obeyed. Make it as easy as you can for your children to honor you. Because when you do that, you help them to see the beauty of obedience. Remember Proverbs? Obedience like a garland and a chain. We can help our children to see the goodness and the beauty of obedience that they would want to put it on as we seek with God's help to be honorable and reasonable in our commandments. Ephesians chapter 6 uh, picks this up because in Ephesians chapter 6, we are called, verse, verse 4, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The other versions have for that word exasperate, provoke to anger. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, Paul calls us not to embitter our children 
and so discourage them. And this commandment has implications for parents because we are not to act in ways that are unreasonable. We are not to be excessively controlling. We are not to show favoritism or to manipulate for our own ends or to sin against the Lord and our children through abuse or neglect. Instead, there in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul calls us to bring them up. I've learned this week in reading about that phrase, bring them up, that it has the sense of cherishing and nourishing our children. As my father-in-law says, children are a gift. They are a soul to cherish and to nourish. And the most, so just as the Lord calls our children to an attitude towards, our, towards their parents, so the Lord calls parents to an attitude towards their children. And the most important way that we cherish and nourish our children is bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Parents, our highest concern for our children should be that they would know the Lord and that they would follow the Lord. And in the midst of all the many good things that we desire for our children, the greatest good that we can pray for, the greatest good that we can seek, is their salvation. Train them that they may know the Lord. Point them to the Lord. Live a Christian life before them, walking with the Lord. And show them a life of godliness and holiness. This has implications for parents. But also, this commandment given to children has implications through life. I once read a parenting book that says that said uh, was entitled, sorry, You Never Stop Being a Parent. And those who have been parents for longer than I uh, can confirm that's the case. But the opposite is also true. That in one sense, for much of life, we never stop being a child. As we pass 18 or, or whatever age uh, we leave the home, those relationships change. But one of the goals of parenting is to train our children to grow up and then leave the family units. But even as they leave home, we, sorry, as we leave home, we are still sons and daughters. We are still called to honor our father and mother. Now, the way we honor changes, but it doesn't stop. As we become independent, we make our own choices. There might be times when we make different choices that our parents made, not over moral issues, but where the Bible gives us freedom. And that's okay. Maturity is about making your own decisions. But we can honor our mother and father as we ask for their advice. We can honor our mother and father as we speak to them and ask them to pray with us about big life decisions that we still need to make. And then as life goes on, honoring aging parents brings new responsibilities too. Earlier in life, they were providing and caring for us. And as they age, we may need to begin to provide and to care for them. It's important to notice that in 1 Timothy chapter 5, when Paul is speaking about the care of widows in the church, he assumes that if a widow has children, they will be providing for her. 
And this is why the family unit is so significant. And we need to be careful uh, that we remember that that is a family responsibility and not automatically to pass that to the state. There are implications right through life to honour our father and mother. But there are also implications to other authorities. And here we're going even broader and seeing the way in which God speaking about one relationship of authority has implications for all legitimate authorities. Because God in, God in calling us to honour our parents is calling us to honour all legitimate authorities. He is reminding us that God has established those authorities for our good. When scripture speaks of other God-given authorities, they are sometimes called fathers, showing this wider scope. So the kings of Israel were sometimes called fathers. Military, Military leaders in Israel were sometimes called fathers. And in the church, spiritual leaders are called fathers. Paul describes Timothy as his true son in the faith. Now, sinful people have and sometimes will abuse God-given power and authority. But that does not make all authority evil. Now, we need to remember that because some in our culture cry things like smash all hierarchy, assuming that all authority is evil. But in this command, God is telling us that he has created and indeed embedded authority into his creation design in marriage, in parenting, in the church, and in the governing authorities of the state. Now, of course, when we're called to submit to leaders and those in authority over us, Scripture qualifies that with a clause in the Lord. That reminds us, as we saw in the relationship with children and parents, that God has the ultimate authority and we only obey insofar as those, uh, those leaders call us to do things that are lawful, not in conflict with God's ways. But it also reminds us that God is the ultimate and highest authority and therefore all who have power will be held accountable by God for how they acted. We obey legitimate authorities because God has established them for our good. So we've seen the foundational sense of this commandment. We've seen that we honor our parents by attitude and obedience, and we've seen the breadth of this commandment. Now, fourthly, I'd like us to turn, and this is a final point, to the Savior and this commandment. As we think about obeying our parents, or perhaps we think about obeying any legitimate authority that God has given. The hardest part in obeying them and honoring them is, I think, their imperfections. That's what makes it really tough. Because however hard our parents might try to be worthy of honor, and to give good commandments. We see them in the home, don't we? We know them best. And that means we see them in their best moments, and there are some good moments. <laughs> and we see them in their worst moments too. We see their flaws and failings more clearly than anyone else does. 
Now, that's true with our parents. It's also true with anyone in authority. All leaders have feet of clay. And we as humans are very skilled in finding the flaws of others. When we see those flaws, what we need to remember is that we ultimately do not give honor in attitude and action because those over us are worthy. We honor in attitude and action because our good God, who is all wise, commands us to do that. Maybe we have had flawed parents. We've all had flawed parents. Maybe we've had deeply flawed parents where it's been very, very hard to be their children. Well, knowing our perfect heavenly father helps us to obey them. Do you know why? Because it frees us from the need to find perfection in them because we look to our Lord God and we see perfection in him. We know that he is our perfect father and ultimately we honor through attitude and obedience, not because our earthly parents are perfect, but because our heavenly father is perfect. And our perfect and wise and good heavenly father calls us to this. But the Heidelberg Catechism, which was a a statement of Christian truth from a number of centuries ago particularly highlights this. And it's going to come on the screens. When it speaks of what it means to obey this commandment, it says that we would do this, that we would show all honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all those in authority over me. Submit myself with due obedience to their good instruction and discipline and also have patience with their weaknesses and shortcomings since it is our God's will to govern us by their hand. It's so important to see this, that if we require perfection from any human authority, we will have no authorities. And that is a very scary world to live in. We do not want to live in that world. God has given these things for our good. And we can bear patiently, have patience with weakness and shortcomings in our earthly parents and indeed in all of those in authority because we have a perfect heavenly father who calls us to these things. We see that pattern in the life of David, King David. He was anointed king when King Saul was still reigning. Saul was a deeply unstable man. There were times when Saul was kind towards David. There were times when when Saul tries to kill David. And twice, David has the opportunity to take Saul's life. But he says, I will not raise my hand against God's anointed king. He will honor his father-in-law and his king because he knows that God calls him to do that. But there's an even stronger example than King David, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to close by thinking of this that the Lord Jesus is an even stronger to us as as an example of how to behave as children, whatever age and stage we're in. Because the Lord Jesus Christ lived under the authority of earthly parents through his childhood. Mary and Joseph were sinners. They were imperfect parents. And yet 
he submitted to them and demonstrated obedience. He showed that patience, that perfect patience with weakness and shortcomings. And so in that way, Jesus Christ is our pattern. And friends, as we've looked at this commandment, I'm sure we've all seen there are ways in which we have shortcomings. There are ways in which we sin both as sons and daughters and as parents. And we can praise God that if the only way to know God were through obedience to these commandments, and there would be no hope. But one of the reasons why our good God gives these commandments is so that we would know that we cannot find salvation through obedience, but so that we might look to Jesus Christ as the one who came to pay for all sins, even our sins as children and parents. So as we look to him by faith, we find that forgiveness, that full forgiveness. Wasn't it wonderful to be reminded in the bite-sized truth that Jesus Christ can forgive all sin, however great. And not only that, friends, do we find forgiveness. We find a perfect life, that, that white cross moving to the right by faith moves to us. Because we receive his perfect righteousness. We receive his perfect life. God looks at us and sees Jesus, and because he sees Jesus, he sees the perfection of Jesus' obedience, even as a son. And that means that by faith in him, we can know God now and know God into eternity if we believe. And not only that, by his Spirit, God promises to transform us as children and parents. Remember how we saw that a turning from God in general was particularly marked by rejection of parents, as we saw that in 1 Timothy and in Romans chapter 1. Well, it's ever so striking that a turning towards God is spoken of in terms of changes between the relationships between children and parents. Reminded this week of the words that close the book of Malachi in chapter 4 and verse 6. When God is speaking of the work of salvation he is going to do in the lives of his people by coming in the Lord Jesus, living in them by his spirit, and changing them from the inside out, what does he promise? He promises in Malachi chapter 4 and verse 6 that he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. What a wonderful gospel promise of what Jesus Christ has come to do. The gospel changes hearts. Jesus, by his spirit, changes hearts. That's our hope. And in homes where there is great conflict, where it seems like we're just at war at times, the Prince of Peace can work. He can turn our hearts to each other so that instead of conflict, there is harmony and peace. May God work in each of us, in the Lord Jesus, in salvation, and by his spirit, that we might know that peace at work in our homes. Amen. Lord God, we come to confess before you that as we look at your perfect and good law, 
we see how far short we have fallen. Lord, we confess that we have not honoured our father and mother as we should. We confess that we have not honoured those authorities you have put into this world as we should. We confess, Lord God, those of us who are parents, that we have not been worthy of honour as we should. We pray that you would forgive us and we thank you that in our Lord Jesus there is full and complete forgiveness. We thank you that by his cross and through his life we can come to worship you today. We can come to sing in a moment to you as our God. We can walk with you by faith each day not because we have been good enough, but because Christ is the perfect son and we have received his righteousness by faith. Lord, we pray that in your grace and mercy, you will be at work in all those relationships we have spoken about today. We pray that by your spirit, you would change all of our hearts, that we would know that peace in our hearts that leads to peace in our homes and beyond. Do this work, we pray. Do it for the honour of your name, we ask in Jesus' name.